Greetings friends, it's such a great blessing for me to come to you today and to be teaching further and along the lines of Paul's mindset and what he tried to communicate to the people in Rome. Now before we start, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much that we can be together gathering around your gospel, gathering around the message of grace, your influence on humanity, your power to keep your promise wherein you have come to give us life and you bringing forth that life in the end into us where we can experience today what that life is all about by your spirit and not our works. Amen and amen. Well, I would like to welcome everybody that is watching for the first time. I trust that this message is going to bless you. And then all our faithful viewers, thank you so much for slotting in. Today we're going to get right into the message. Um, and we're just going to explain what the righteousness of God is. I'm walking through Romans verse by verse. And we are now in Romans chapter 3 from verse 9 onwards to basically to the end of the chapter. And what we've established in the previous uh, weeks, I mean months maybe, I don't know how many messages I've preached on this is that Paul has got a bone of contention something that he's trying to communicate and what he's communicating to the people in Rome is that salvation is by reliance upon God to keep his promise to humanity and that there is nothing special in any person's flesh there's nothing special when it comes to man uh, being a Jew or being a Gentile. And he used the argument that he has, and we, he proved it from Scripture, wherein he quotes a verse that says that the just shall have life by faith. That simple word wherein he says the just shall have life by faith explains justification, explains salvation, explains righteousness, and so many things. He then goes on and he says, this is true, this passage that the prophet uh, quoted or mentioned or the oracle of God is true because the wrath of God is revealed in all people. Or we can basically say death is revealed in all people who do not put their trust in God. And then he points to the Gentiles saying that they have worshipped false gods and they have not worshipped God. And all of that started in Adam. And then God came and he chose a special people group, which was the dis Abraham and his descendants. And he gave messages unto them, showing to them that salvation is only by faith. He then points out in Romans that the, the people, the special people that the, these messages were given to was also recipients of the very same message and needed the message themselves. He goes so far as to explain that the Jews and Gentiles both has basically rejected God and stands in the power of themselves. And therefore they can now, through Jesus Christ, uh, repentance is given unto them, wherein they can now repent of making their reliance on their own power and to stand by their own faith and put their trust in God so that God can save them. Now we're going to pick it up in Romans chapter um, 
chapter 3 and verse 9. Now I want to apologize that I have not sent any messages this week out. You know that there was no devotionals going out as well as the notes. Uh, I only made these notes yesterday. I had a really busy week. One day I will tell you about all of that um, and what was go- what is going on. But I could not um, get to any of that. But uh, I've got a wonderful message that I'm going to share with you today. These messages has been prepared long ago, but to make the detailed notes uh, takes a bit of time, and I couldn't do it this week, so I did it yesterday. Um, because you know we send it by Thursday, so uh, on f- if I've not finished it by Thursday, it can only be sent the next Monday. But we're going to get into Romans 3 verse 9 and pick it up and explain what Paul was saying to the Jews. Today's message is going to help you understand what the righteousness of God is. What the righteousness of God is. In order to understand what it means to be righteous by faith, or what it means to be the righteous, or what it means to be made the righteousness of God, uh, what justification is, you need to understand what the righteousness of God is. We cannot call God righteous by measuring God to a law. That would mean that the law is greater than God. So God's righteousness is not something that is determined by any law. The righteousness of God is something that is inside God that no one else has. And we're going to look at that. The righteousness of God is God's right or authority that he has whereby he can give eternal life. And according to that right and that power unto life, righteousness in humans or to be made the righteousness of God and all those kind of things are determined. Some technical terms, but uh, very promising. Glory to God. Let's read Romans 3 verse 9. What then? Are we as Jews then better than the Gentiles? No, in no way. For we have before proved that both Jew and Gentile are under sin. We see that Paul proves that all were under sin by using, as I've just explained, the wrath of God, saying that death is uh, evitable. You can see death inside all people, be they Jews or Gentiles. What that means is that there is no flesh, there is no people group that in their flesh they have the ability to attain unto eternal life. Nobody. And when he comes and he says that all people are under sin, what is he meaning? I'm going to try and explain what sin in the flesh is. Sin in the flesh, according to my view of the scripture, is simply mortality in human flesh. That's what I see sin in the flesh is. And should you go and uh, draw from your flesh or your own human ability to try and have life by your own power, you're going to find that the weakness inside your flesh, or uh, the, the Greek word for sin means to miss the goal, or not to share in, or not to partake in, the area of man's flesh which does not partake of eternal life is going to become evident. You're going to see it. It's going to bring forth sins. So, what it means is, when Paul comes and he says that all were under sin, 
Sin was their slave master. It meant that all people were under the power of mortality. All people were under the power of human bodies not sharing in eternal life. Now, in order to condemn sin in the flesh, according to Romans 8, we would need sinless flesh. And the Bible says that in Jesus is no sin. We know Jesus raised from the dead inside a human body that cannot die. He has what we call eternal human flesh that cannot sin, has no sin. And as, as we are in him, we are now partaking of eternal life in a human body. And therefore, he has now condemned sin in the flesh through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, it sounds a bit technical, but it's actually very simple. Adam and Eve, when they were made, they were made mortal. They weren't eternal, immortal beings, and, and that we've established uh, over and over in our teachings. But we need to understand that Paul writes from that understanding. He comes and he says that both Jew and both Gentile, or Jew and Gentile were both under the power of sin, or they were under sin, and it was established in his doctrine. How did he establish that? He proved that both Jew and Gentile don't have eternal life, and that they live in the fruit of the flesh. They're not honoring God. They're not believing in God. That's basically what he was saying. So, should we go and we say that um, sin is called the weakness or the inability of man or more accurately to word more accurately i would say sin means the human body that is not partaking in eternal life but is still under the threat of death and has not been sealed with eternal life that is sin in the flesh uh, we need we can go and look at romans quickly let me just go to that uh, when you get your notes, you will see I've got a footnote uh, there under point A in verse 9. And what, it, what I wrote here is, Under sin is to be under the weakness of the flesh and its inability to produce eternal life. Romans 7 in its context, as well as Romans 5 verse 4 to 6, declares that sin in the flesh um, is a weakness and that it is not something a person does Paul comes he says in my flesh dwells nothing good he goes so far as to say that after he received the Lord believed upon Jesus Christ and then became law-minded law-minded according to Paul would be mindful of the flesh finding his identity in his flesh he said that sin in me took me captive and then he talks about sin in the flesh because he's talking about, he says, in my body dwells nothing good. Who will then save me of this body of death or this body of sin and death? So what Paul is saying is there is a sin in the flesh or I have a human body that does not partake in bodily immortality yet. And the moment that I start to draw on my own power to live forever by myself, I find that uh, all manner of 
concupiscence and death starts to manifest in me. So sin in the flesh, and this is what Paul basically said. He said, I was alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The good that I wanted to do, I did not do, and the bad that I didn't want to do, that I started doing. Therefore, I come to the conclusion that it is not I who sin, but sin in me that has taken me captive and made me a slave to death. To lead me unto death. The Bible talks about a death that leads unto death. So in the introduction, what I want to say is, when Paul comes and he says that both Jew and both Gentile are under the power of uh, sin, and he concludes that they are under sin, he's saying that none of them are partakers of the righteousness of God or the eternal life that God has. No one, be they Jew or Gentile, have got access in themselves, by themselves, unto the life of God. No one has that. That's basically what verse 9 says. I would like for us to turn to Romans um, 5. Romans 5. And I want to read from verse... I didn't plan to read this, but let us do that. I'm going to read... I want to read from verse, uh, let's read from verse 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed. This is the hope of bodily resurrection. Hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So what is he saying? He says that we were ungodly, we were without strength. And in, the, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he says, while we were without strength. Strength unto what? Strength unto the hope that is just spoken of, which is eternal life. So he says, when we were without the strength to have eternal life, Christ died for us and conquered our weakness. So he says, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Then, we want, then I want to read verse 8. So it says, let's read verse 6 and 8 together. It says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commanded his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he says that they were ungodly, meaning they were not God-like. How are you God-like? You need the eternal life of God that Jesus has in his resurrected body today. He is like God. But we, in mortal bodies, Paul refers to here in chapter 5, he says we were not like God, but we were without the strength that is needed to have eternal life. But he came and then died for these sinners, the ungodly, strengthless, unto eternal life people. 
So when we are under sin, it simply means we are mortals. So many times we felt so guilty when we think of sin in the flesh, actually rejecting ourselves, hating ourselves, living at a place where we think there's something very ugly inside us. No, there's nothing ugly inside you. It is not ugly to be weak unto eternal life. God from the beginning has come and promised eternal life unto you. If God made the promise of eternal life unto you, it means that you did not have it. You needed it. So God didn't look at people that are uh, mortal in a negative way. The problem is when we engage our mortality to produce immortality, that's where the problem comes in that brings devastation and death into manifestation. So what that means, and this is the point I'm trying to make, that Adam was made, Adam was a mortal being. There's a long debate that we can still have about that and why it is like that, but Adam was a mortal being made from the dust of the earth, warned that he was there was a threat of death over him, that he has got the ability to die, and that he should basically eat of the tree of life and so live forever. Adam did not do that, and we find that Adam engaged mortality and found that he does not have the strength unto eternal life, that his body was not a sharer or a partaker of eternal life, but that there was a promise of God made towards man that God promised and said, I will give you this since you don't have that yet. It was in God's plan to bring it forth in man. All that man had to do is believe and rely and trust upon God. So I think that is an important point when we look at the first uh, passage there uh, at verse 9. When we look at verse 9, we find that Paul comes and he says, Clearly that I have concluded that both Jew and Gentile are under sin. How did he do it? By showing to them that the wrath of God or that death is in both these people groups. Now we're going on. We still want to get to the righteousness of God. We can now basically see that um, sin in the flesh does not mean you're a sinner. Sin in the flesh means that You've got uh, a weakness in the flesh to attain unto eternal life by yourself. That's how I define it. Then you get disobedience. Disobedience would then be not to believe in God, which we can also call an act of sinning. Should you be disobedient, then sin in the flesh enters your life or your world basically what Paul said in Romans he says I was alive without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and I died it's basically the story of Adam in the life of Paul he's saying that God gave me life but I still have a mortal body which was not the issue because I could experience life as I trust in him waiting for God to fulfill his promise of bodily immortality to me as I waited and got distracted and started to put my trust and reliance in my mortal body, in my flesh, I find that sin entered the world. 
through my disobedience or entered my world, I would say, saying I'm Paul now, um, entered my world and I died. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Adam was a mortal being. In his flesh, he did not have eternal life. Then what did he do? He disobeyed God. He believed in his own power, tried to fulfill the commands of the law, if we want to call it like that, stand in the solitude of himself. What happened? The next thing that happened, he found that um, sin entered his world, or the world, because he was the first Adam, entered the world, and that he died. Paul's story is Adam's story, is all of our story. That's why Jesus' story can now be our story. And we need to see it like that. Um, uh, uh, Paul clearly comes and he states that all were, were then under sin and death. And he goes on and he explains in verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Can you see what he's saying here? He says righteousness and unrighteousness, he compares it with each other. He says that there, all people were under sin, which in the context of all the passages, he basically says that they were under the power of death. All of them. None of them had eternal life in themselves. All of them, uh, Adam believed that he had eternal life in himself and found that he didn't have and then from this group of people that was under Adam's influence, God took a people group, the Jews, and also by the law showed unto them that they don't have eternal life by themselves. All of them were under the power of sin. And the wages of sin is death. Mortality used. Mortality can only pay you with what it is, death itself. That is what this... All of this is about. And then Paul comes and he uses the word righteousness in connection with the strength unto eternal life. So the passage he then quotes is from, is, is from um, Psalm 14 verse 1 to 3, Psalm 53 verse 1 to 3, and then also um, Psalm 14 verse 1 to 7, explaining this whole thing, saying that there is no one righteous, no, not one. There's not one that understands how to live forever. There's no one that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable, unprofitable unto eternal life. Their own works, their own knowledge cannot profit them. Why? Because in themselves they are too weak. They are under the power of sin. They are not righteous. They don't have the power unto eternal life. They don't have that. They don't have the right unto eternal life in their own selves. Why? Because they are mortal beings. They are all gone out of the way. They are all become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Listen to this. Their throat or their message is an open grave. So it is like a grave swallowing people to death. Their doctrine, what they believe, is wrong. That is where the destruction lies. With their tongues they have used deceit. 
Now, this passage, and I believe Paul uses for a purpose, because he's talking about how Eve got deceived by the devil. Then he says, the poison of snakes is under their lips. So what is he saying? Paul is saying they are unrighteous. Why? Because they're walking in the power of flesh that's not sharing in eternal life. What he's basically saying is these people are walking in what we call sin in the flesh. They are walking in sin in the flesh. That's what they're doing. They are mortals. That is not a problem. But walking in your mortality or making use of mortality to try and have life, that is the problem. And that is what Paul has in his mind as he writes this. Church, we need to understand that we can only understand Paul's writings from the perspective wherein he understood things. And that's very important. Um, he says, well, the mouth, their mouth is full of cursing. What, is, what happens when Adam and Eve sin? He says, and basically these curses comes over you. You know, cursed is the field because of you. Can you see Adam, the language that was used in, in the garden? is what Paul has in his mind here, which he quotes from using Psalm 14, um, verse 1 to 7, and Isaiah 53, verse 1 to 6. Ach, not Isaiah, I mean Psalm 53, verse 1 to 6. He's got this, this Garden of Eden language, the, what we would call the fall of man, the deception of man language in him, and he says that is in all of us. There is no one righteous unto eternal life. There's no one that has got flesh that qualifies for eternal life. In their flesh, no one are partakers of eternal life. They, are, they all have sin or not partaking in the flesh. All of them. It says destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes then it says there um, in verse 4 I think I've made a mistake there verse 19 let me just read I'm sorry about that I, I, see I accidentally deleted part of my notes there um, it basically then goes on in Romans 5 uh, uh, Romans 3 verse 19 it says now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh become righteous or flesh be justified with eternal life in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So by the law is the knowledge that of sin in the flesh. So what happened with Adam when he, when, when, when he disobeyed God? He got knowledge of sin in his flesh. He got knowledge of mortality in his flesh. The question would be, uh, did God then make Adam a sinner? No, God didn't make Adam a sinner. God gave a mortal man, Adam, access to eternal life. That is what actually took place. But the question is so loaded because our mind and our definition of what sin is, how sin works, um, what Paul thought about sin in the flesh, 
is so far off what Paul meant when he wrote that, that it sounds very offensive when we think that, did God make man with sin? All of us can say God didn't make man with sin. He didn't put sin in his flesh. In other words, uh, a hate, a love for evil or any of that. No, he didn't put that. We all know that. The thing is simply is that man, in the day he was made, according to the scriptures, he was made of the dust of the earth. He was not made of God. He was made of the dust of the earth. He was taken from the substance of the dust of the earth, which we know that should we not believe in God, we re- dust you are and unto dust you will return. Then he gave this dust man the opportunity to have eternal life. And now his dustiness is basically called not sharing in the eternal life of God, which is defined as sin in the flesh or mortality. Should um, Adam want justification or righteousness in his flesh, or another word for righteousness is to be as you ought to be, what God dreamt for him. Should he want righteousness in his flesh, Should he want justification of the flesh or to be made righteous and manifested as righteous in his flesh, he has to rely upon the one who is righteous, who has eternal life in his flesh, which we know today is the man Jesus Christ or God himself. So God is righteous. How is God righteous? He he is as he ought to be, as pertaining to eternal life. He lives forever. And now he wants to make us righteous, give us righteousness as a free gift, which means the condition that can afford eternal life and then the manifestation of that in our flesh. So we see in the scripture here that Paul comes and um In verse 10, this is very important. He comes and he says in verse 4 that there is basically, uh, sorry, in verse 9, that we, the Jews, are not better than the Gentiles. We are all under the power of sin and death, all of us. And then it goes on and he says in verse 10, there is no one righteous. No, not one. And he connects righteousness with eternal life. No one is in the condition in his flesh which can afford um, eternal life. No one. So I want to say, when we say there's no one righteous, no, not one, we've always used that as a very negative thing. It was used from pulpits to tell people how bad they are, how sinful they are, and all those kind of things. But I think that it should not be used in that way, and that the context of Romans simply refers to man in his flesh doesn't, cannot afford eternal life. He cannot produce eternal life. That's all that it means. So even today, if you say to me, there's no one righteous, no, not one, and you, the, the understanding that I would have is that it is correct because none of us in ourselves can afford eternal life. And I'm not even ashamed about that. I, that simply brings me to a place where I would look for someone that does have eternal life, that can afford it and also 
produce it in someone else should you rely upon him, which will then point me to Jesus Christ. That is what I see there. He says there's no one that understands. There's no one that seeks after God. He says their their throat is an open grave. Um, That the open grave talks about death, referring to Adam and Eve now again. And um, their tongue is full of deceit. They are deceived thinking they can have life by their flesh, which is sinful or not sharing in. Not sharing in. Next week I will talk a little bit about the passage in the scripture where it says that uh, sin is the transgression of the law. I will explain that in 1 John. Um, There is a depth about it which I cannot do now because it will take about 20 minutes to explain that. But one thing I I can assure you of is that having sin in the flesh is not something that you can do anything about. It is your makeup. And this, you are not bad. But God wants to condemn sin in the flesh. What it means is, and what condemnation of sin in the flesh is, is it, the only way God can condemn sin in the flesh is by offering eternal flesh. That's the only way. That's why it's impossible for us to be saved by our works because who by his own power can produce immortality? No one. It is just simply impossible. Okay, Uh, let us go on to verse uh, 19. It says, Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that the world may become guilty or under the judgment of God, lacking in life, therefore including all, before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of your mortality, of your sin. But now, the righteousness of God, now listen to this, there's no one righteous, no one has eternal life by himself, no one, no not one, no one has the wisdom, righteousness meaning the wisdom on how to produce eternal life. But now the righteousness of God or the wisdom of God on how to produce eternal life is is manifested without the law being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. All have walked in their mortality and none of them, uh, there is no person, not a Jew, not a Gentile, all have sinned, or we can even say all have sin in the flesh. And as they have sin in the flesh and draw upon that, the both people groups, the Jew and the Gentiles, we found that sins manifested in them in their disobedience. Therefore, we conclude that there is no human being on the planet uh, that has wisdom on how to live forever. There is no one, only God. And now God comes and he says that, I will use my wisdom in how to make somebody live forever on how to bring holiness forth in people. I will manifest my wisdom or my righteousness unto eternal life in whosoever trusts me. So, 
the righteousness of God is actually the wisdom that God has, the condition wherein God is, that can afford eternal life. That is what it is. The condition to be as you ought to be. God promised eternal life. And he is as he ought to be to produce that. But no human was as he ought to be when you, when it, as pertaining to eternal life. No one. There's no person that was in a condition where he could produce eternal life. And that is called unrighteous. That is called ungodlike. And therefore, even Adam had to believe in the God that justifies those who are not fully like God. Adam wasn't fully like God. Church, we need to understand that. Adam was a being that could die. But God is not a being that can die. Therefore, Adam's story is Abraham's story, is Noah's story, is Moses' story, is the Israelite story, is the story of Jesus in the end, which is our story. That means God didn't change his mind through all of time. He's all the time been a constant God that brings love, that has kindness, and has never, ever put any responsibility on us to, to fulfill any law. All that we had to do is trust him. And that was how it was from the beginning. He's never changed. Adam had to believe in God that can take a mortal unto immortality. Mortality is not like God. It's unlike God. Yet you don't have to be ashamed of it. Adam could be naked and unashamed. He could be naked and unashamed. But the moment you say, by my own power, I will live forever, then you're going to be ashamed of your nakedness because you cannot fulfill your own promise. But God remains faithful, church. He can still and will still produce eternal life in whosoever trusts Him. Now we can understand what it means to be made the righteousness of God. He became sin. He entered mortality and took not just he didn't just conquer his own, but conquered all of mankind's mortality in the baptism of John and then the death and resurrection. He became sin that we might be made, that we can afford the condition of having eternal life, that we might be made the righteousness of God or in our flesh exactly like God, which can only be afforded by the resurrection of Jesus. Should we believe this, we are righteous in our actions. So, what's the right thing to do to have eternal life? We believe. That's it. And now we have the gift of this righteousness, which is the God has gifted us with His condition as that which will produce eternal life in us. We've, be, we, we've been given this gift of righteousness by Him. Okay, let us read a little bit more. But now the righteousness of God, the wisdom on how produce, to produce eternal life, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by the faithfulness of Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified. Justified, go and see Romans 5.18, talks about the justification of life, being given life freely by His grace. Grace there simply meaning the power whereby He can keep His promise. We will, when we get into chapter 4, we're going to see that. Uh, grace is actually the power whereby God will keep His promise. We are saved by the power whereby God keeps His promise, in God keeping His promise. That's how we are saved from sin and death. That's how we are saved from decay. Glory to God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth as the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins or, it says, sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So what He says is He's declared that His righteousness can now end this whole thing 